We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I have to tell you, I'm not trying to get sympathy. I'm not trying to play on your heart stings, but I just, I'm not feeling well. I woke up yesterday with a cold and drug myself in here to do the show because I knew, you know, this was our date. We had an appointment. I wanted to keep my appointment. So here I am. I'm a little nasally, a little rough. My throat hurts. But again, I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just telling you how it is. So if I start to fade halfway through, know that I'm committed to continuing to the end. Well, Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. Always appreciate that very much. And before we uh, switch our attention to the lighter side of the news, I do want to cover some of the developing news stories. And oh my, is there a lot of stuff going on? Fortunately, we don't have to bear the weight of the world on our shoulders. We're just being informed about what some of the challenges are. Might inform how we pray and remind us that ultimately politics isn't going to be the answer to What ails mankind? Anyway, the United States and China have started to outline commitments in principle on the pretty sticky issues in their trade dispute, marking the most significant progress yet toward ending a seven-month trade war. That's what Reuters is reporting, and that's despite being far apart on demands made by U.S. President Donald Trump's administration for structural changes to China's economy. That's a tall order. Uh, The report noted that a deal is beginning to emerge from the talks as the two sides push for an agreement by March the 1st, keeping in mind that today is February 22nd. March the 1st is coming up next week. Well, the Associated Press says that House Democrats will file and have, uh, in fact, filed a resolution aimed at blocking the national emergency declaration that the president has issued to help finance his wall along the southwest border, even as the effort seems almost certainly um, uh, certain to ultimately fall short. I mean, the president can veto it. And of course, there's a majority of Republicans in the Senate. The resolution may pass the Democrat controlled House, but its uh, prospects in the Senate are fuzzy. Not impossible, but fuzzy. The law that spells out the rules for emergency declaration seems to require the Senate to address the issue, too. But there's never been a congressional effort to block one and some procedural uncertainties remain. So how to how to attempt to do this? Uh, within the law, which suddenly has become so important to some lawmakers who didn't care under the previous administration, because, you know, it goes back and forth depending on who sits in the White House. Uh, Now it's of prime importance. Alarm elite, 47,893 immigrants uh, came to the country illegally. They were nabbed this past January. That's just January along the southern border, which represents an 84 percent increase over January of 2018. That's according to the Washington Examiner. Data extrapolation suggests that border officers will make over 600,000 apprehensions this year, according to the Examiner. On a related note, uh, it's been reported at least 25 people affiliated with the MS-13 gang has, uh, were deported rather from Mexico after they were revealed to be concealed within a caravan of some 1,600 Central American migrants just across the U.S. border. Nevertheless, the back and forth over how to or whether to secure our border continues. 
Well, Representative Mark Green and Representative Chip Roy have uh, issued an appeal to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We write to urge the Department of State to consider designating many of the world's most violent drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations in uh, bureaucratic lingo, FTOs. Violent drug cartels are not just a domestic policy issue limited to our home countries. These groups view America's sovereign borders as merely minor inconveniences. In 2017, Immigration and Customs Enforcement made more than 2,300 fentanyl arrests, 405 seizures of fentanyl, totaling 2,383 pounds. Additionally, cartels operate human trafficking operations into the U.S. that compel victims into forced labor and sexual slavery. And according to the Daily Wire, lawmakers in the Vermont House are expected to approve an abortion bill that's so insane it allows abortion at any time with no qualifications at all. New York's abortion law states that abortion is permitted after 24 weeks of pregnancy only if there is an absence of fetal viability or the abortion is necessary to protect the patient's life or health. We've already talked about how big that loophole is. But Vermont's law has no similar statement. Meanwhile, The Hill says Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson uh, signed into a law a measure that would automatically ban abortion if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns its 1973 uh, landmark Roe v. Wade ruling that legalized abortion nationwide. It's interesting because states are already beginning to position themselves for the possibility Not necessarily the likelihood, but the possibility of Roe versus Wade being overturned. And as the deadline approaches for the withdrawal of U.S. forces fighting the Islamic State in Syria, America's closest European allies have turned down a Trump administration request to fill the gap with their own troops. That's according to U.S. and foreign officials. The Washington Post reports that allies have unanimously told the United States that they won't stay if you pull out. That's a senior administration official speaking. France and Britain are the only other countries with troops on the ground in the U.S.-led coalition battling the Islamic State. Some countries rightly view America as the world leader, while others demand that we do all the heavy lifting. This development is likely a combination of both of those attitudes. Well, Jesse Smollett, if you're not familiar with the program Empire, you may not be as familiar with the brouhaha that's been uh, circulating for the last several days. But Jesse Smollett's legal team yesterday criticized the Chicago police for accusing him of staging a phony attack and suggesting the Empire Star is being denied due process. Well, he's out on bail, so he is um, at this point subject to due process. In a statement obtained by Fox News, the 36-year-old Smollett's legal counsel said the nation witnessed an organized law enforcement spectacle that has no place in the American legal system. The presumption of innocence, a bedrock in the search for justice, was trampled upon at the expense of Mr. Smollett and notably on the eve of a mayoral election. His team continued, Mr. Smollett is a young man of impeccable character and integrity who fiercely and solemnly maintains his innocence, betrayed by a system that apparently wants to skip due process and proceed directly to sentencing. Well, Chicago uh, Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson said at a news conference uh, yesterday that Smollett orchestrated the incident in late uh, late January in which he claimed he was assaulted by two men. Smollett, authorities believe, wanted to take advantage of the pain and anger of racism to promote his career. Smollett is accused of filing a false police report and has been charged with felony disorderly conduct. He could face up to three years in prison if convicted. Smollett has posted $100,000 bail and returned to the set of Empire. We learned later today that he has been written out of the final two segments of that very popular program. And the two young men who were uh, being questioned about having assaulted him confessed that he had paid them in advance 
to do what they did and presented evidence to support that claim. We're going to continue to look at some of the day's news before we switch our attention to the lighter side of the news. 15 minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program or just winding down through some of the headlines for the day. Well, the Trump administration, which announced plans in December to pull out of Syria, rather, announced on Thursday that it will keep 200 U.S. troops in the country for now. A small peacekeeping group of about 200 will remain in Syria for a period of time, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said in a one-sentence statement. Senator Lindsey Graham, who had criticized Trump's decision to pull out of Syria, applauded the president's decision to leave a few hundred in part, in a part rather, of an international stabilizing or as a a part of an international stabilizing force. And two leading Democratic presidential candidates, U.S. Senators Kamala Harris of California and Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, have reportedly said they support reparations for African-Americans affected by slavery, reflecting a shift in the importance of race and identity issues within the party. The New York Times reported that Harris doubled down on her support for reparations after agreeing with a host on the popular radio show The Breakfast Club that the race-conscious policy has uh, was necessary to address the legacies of slavery and discrimination in the United States. Warren told the Times in an interview she also suggests, uh, rather supports reparations. Julian Castro, another Democrat running for president, has indicated that he would support reparations as well. And there's no host, no best popular film category, and no awards relegated to commercial breaks. However, the 91st annual Academy Awards show will go on. While questions regarding the telecast appear to have been answered, debate remains as to who will win the coveted answer, uh, rather, awards this season. Does Black Panther pounce? Will Bohemian Rhapsody uh, rock? Might the uh, favorite be the favorite? Could a star is born shine bright? Well, we don't know yet. Uh, The platforms of um, Senators Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren include well, I won't even get into that at this this point. Well, the U.S. is not completely pulling out of Syria, as I mentioned. And North Carolina officials on Thursday ordered that a second election take place in the state's ninth district after the initially victorious Republican candidate conceded that the first vote was tainted by an illegal get-out-the-vote effort indirectly backed by his campaign. The State Board of Elections voted unanimously to hold a second election after being uh, presented with evidence that Leslie McRae McDowellis a contractor hired by Republican Mark Harris's campaign ordered his volunteers to go door to door collecting absentee ballots uh, and in some cases filling them out in favor of Harris. And a veteran IRS employee has been charged with leaking the banking records of President Trump's one-time personal attorney Michael Cohen to Michael Avenatti, the attorney for adult film star uh, Stormy Daniels, although I hate calling it adult film star. There's nothing adult about it anyway. Regardless of Cohen's guilt, this is uh, unbecoming. The IRS's targeting of conservatives was merely a glimpse into what remains a toxic, scandalous environment. And on this day, um, in 1997, scientists in Scotland announced they succeeded in cloning an adult mammal, producing a lamb named Dolly. Dolly, however, would be put down after a short life marred by premature aging and disease. And on this day in 1980, the miracle on ice takes place in Lake Placid, New York, as the U.S. Olympic hockey team upsets the Soviets 4-3. to But a big deal that was back in 1980. The U.S. team would go on to win the gold medal 
uh, versus Finland. And on this day in 1935, it becomes illegal for airplanes to fly over the White House. And that prohibition remains in place even today. Well, Clark, I want you to weigh in on this because you are our local uh, not meteorologist, but you sort of monitor conservative meteorological predictions. Many people here in Portland have noticed a snowflake icon on their weather uh, app at the beginning of next week. So is Portland really going to get snow? Well, the National Weather Service said it's not out of the question, but at this point, it's far from a given. Uh, it will occur, let alone accumulate. Well, according to local meteorologists, Uh, They're saying that snow is possible, but they didn't hold out much hope of accumulation. Rain may begin as snow in the valleys on Monday morning before turning to rain in the afternoon, which sounds pretty much like rain and rain to me. The clear sky we enjoyed on Thursday is clouding over, and yeah, we're seeing those clouds now. Yet another storm system is dropping down from the northwest right now, and that's bringing the return of rain and mountain snow on Friday. Uh, Rain should um, uh, reach this area fairly soon if it hasn't already. Um, We're also watching for the potential of snow, but models show all rain and the 40s for Portland at the start of next week. Keep an eye on Monday and Tuesday. We're being told lots of moving parts here and snow could be the call depending on how the event plays out. Uh, While it's possible there could be snow in Portland at the start of the week, it's far from certainty uh, at this point, but we're still um, days away. And I appreciate that the same meteorologist who predicted uh, Quite an accumulation of snow last time are being much more cautious this time around. They've sort of been called out. So while they're saying snow is possible, accumulation is uh, very unlikely and cold weather will be with us for some time. Now, Clark, do you think that was a good forecast that pretty uh, measured in terms of what they're predicting this time around as opposed to the panic that we uh, we heard a couple of weeks ago? Oh, I still see a little bit of the, <laughs> but um, no, I, I think they don't know that the the best I've gotten is that we really don't know. Well, and they're admitting that much more readily now than I think a um, couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but I've, I've caught some of the hinting at or the, uh, oh boy, there could be some stuff coming. Eh, yeah, but we don't really know is the, uh, I appreciate that honesty. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll keep our eyes open. And And this late in the month, anything that does happen is not going to be snowpocalypse. Yeah. The sun's too high. The strength strength of the sun, based on where it is in the sky, is too high now in the year. I mean, it could cause maybe a messy morning commute, but if it were to happen in the morning. I'm a little disappointed we didn't get some snow this year. I mean, we did have some snow fall, but... No accumulation, at least around the Portland metro area. Oh, well. I had it in Salem. There's always next year. We'll see what happens then. Well, we had um, we celebrated Valentine's Day just about a week ago, uh, and one man decided he was going to pretend that he got stood up on Valentine's Day, and in the process earned himself, if you can use such a word, a free meal. Well, a dateless man pulled off the ultimate Valentine's Day ruse by pretending to get stood up at dinner so that he could get a free meal. Now, how he knew he might get one, I don't know, but known only as Stephen, the prankster shared his idea on Twitter on Thursday before Valentine's Day, wondering if I went to Outback Steakhouse by myself tonight and asked for the table, asked for a table for two, then got progressively sadder as the night went on alone. Do you think they'd give me a steak for free? 
Well, he decided to put the theory to the test, detailing the entire event, the entire evening on social media in an hilarious thread. Now, it might have been hilarious if you were unconnected. I don't think Outback would have found it quite as uh, humorous. Well, Stephen explains uh, tweet by tweet how he dressed up in a suit jacket and then uh, waited around 45 minutes for a table. Once he was seated, he ordered a drink for himself and a glass of wine for his date, in quotes, whom he names Catherine. Well, I remember she had, uh, she said she loves Chardonnay, so why don't we start with a glass of that, he wrote, and apparently said at the restaurant. Well, to make the situation more believable, he left a fake voicemail on his, um, or rather for his date, asking her to let him know uh, when she's on her way. Uh, and that would ensure that the waiter, uh, I should say, he ensured that the waiter heard him or overheard him uh, make that arrangement. He even brought a, a fake gift to dinner made out of a bag, um, his uh, jumper cables <laughs> um, stuffed with uh, in a shoebox. So he had a gift for her at the table. Well, as the evening went on, Stephen wrote that there can't be a sadder image than a guy in a suit at Outback Steakhouse alone on Valentine's Day, sitting across from an untouched decanter of white wine, end quote. Well, he proceeded to eat two loaves of bread as the evening dragged on. Then, shortly before the kitchen closed and the waiter came by, he drank his date's beverage from the decanter, no glass necessary. He wrote that the waiter seemed sensitive to his situation when he finally placed his order. He ordered a steak, the dude was um, walking on eggshells around him. I've never seen someone scoop glassware up so smoothly. He took the untouched glass and empty decanter from the table. And Stephen enjoyed a steak dinner, all while pretending that he was waiting for a date. Now, I'm sure people reading his Twitter account thought it was, you know, big chuckles. But the waiter had to wait on him. The food had to be purchased and prepared. And none of it was paid for. Boy, what a great laugh that must have been. I wonder if he had any conscience after. 30 minutes after 4 o'clock, we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 34 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, a Kentucky man's confusion is going viral after his wife revealed that he got her turnips instead of tulips for Valentine's Day. Now, you wonder, how is that possible? Well, he thought he was buying the bulbs. Well, Nina Harris of Hartford said that her husband, Alan, told her um, in the early morning of Valentine's Day that her gift had arrived. When I got up, I had my first cup of coffee, she said. Oh, your turnips are here. And I said, turnips? Well, Harris said that uh, she had told Alan the previous night that she wanted tulips for Valentine's Day. He was paying attention, she recalled. He just said, yes, I know. Alan Harris admitted he wasn't paying close attention to his wife's words and thought she was asking for turnips for her garden. I went and got the bucket and put the turnips in the bucket that say, I love you on it. Alan says, I went in there, got her coffee, and here you go. Well, the remorseful husband said he ended up also uh, getting Nina some tulips plus candy and balloons. Nina Harris said her husband is lucky that she likes root vegetables and they enjoyed them or soon will. And everyone deals with uh, breaking up differently. And for some, that might include naming an ex after a fish before it's fed to a brown bear. Oregon's Wildlife Center on Valentine's Day had a promotion that let you name a salmon after your ex before it's fed to a bear. All in the name of love, I guess. Well, fortunately, the Wildlife Center in Grants Pass is um, 
giving spurned lovers the opportunity to do just that in time for Valentine's Day. Um, If you uh, made a donation of $20 or more, the Animal Rehab Center would name a salmon after the uh, ex of your choosing and feed it to one of the bears, send you a, a certificate and photos of Cody and Yak, the two bears enjoying the salmon named after your former love. I'm not sure that's the way I'd want to spend Valentine's Day, but, you know, maybe it was a painful breakup. I don't know. Well, in Japan, they've come up with another way to take the uh, guesswork out of dating based on the uh, premise that people who are having trouble finding a romantic partner probably lack the confidence and experience to properly interact with a potential match. A Tokyo-based robotics association recently hosted a, a speed dating party where human participants sat in silence across the table from each other while tiny robots spoke on their behalf. Hmm. While a bizarre event took place in Tokyo, Japan, and was organized by Contents Innovation Program, or CIP Association, which specializes in developing AI, robotics, and other technology, according to the Japan News, in a series of videos posted on YouTube, potential uh, matches can be seen sitting across from each other, but instead of talking, they just sit there quietly with their gazes focused on the two little robots placed on the table between them. Uh, they just sit in silence while these robotic assistants ask each other about uh, ask each other questions and provide answers based on information preloaded into their system from a 45 question survey participants completed prior to the event. So apparently the participants couldn't answer for themselves. Well, the proxy conversation between potential matches lasted about three minutes. And at the end, participants had the option to decide whether they wanted to um, engage in direct conversation with the person sitting across from them or not. According to Japanese news sources, many of the 28 men and women who took part in this unique speed dating event were impressed by their robotic assistants, saying that because the robots spoke on their behalf, they were able to focus on listening and learning about the other person. The person uh, didn't seem like my usual type, but as our robots talked, I was able to see that we have many things in common, said one of the participants. So I'd like to go on a date next time. So apparently it works. It was easy because the robots explained everything about me and I didn't have to say anything during multiple interactions, said another person. Apparently the robots made it easier for participants to have their interests and qualities presented to their potential matches without coming off as dull or self-centered. They can do that later. Well, the robots, on the other hand, could be excused for talking up the people they were representing, especially in Japanese society where humility is always considered a virtue and people are always conscious of the fact that the things they love might be seen as dull and pointless by others. Many singles are reluctant to self-promote themselves, and having a robotic wingman was likely to be a great help. And apparently it was. Well, the tiny robots used in this innovative speed dating party were developed by a Japanese media company, Cyber Agent, in collaboration with Japanese tech giant Sharp. They reportedly helped form four new couples at the event alone, so they probably... Um, haven't seen the last of this uh, speed dating form. Romance by proxy seems to be trendy in Japan these days. Just last week, um, unique service that specializes in confessing to clients' romantic crushes on their behalf, sparing them the stressful experience of having to do it themselves and facing the possibility of rejection. So you can have a relationship that you don't even have to be directly involved in. Now, one would hope at some point you turn the robot off, and you actually speak to the person with whom you now have struck up a relationship. I mean, it may be that you don't like the sound of the other person's voice. 
who knows, since you've never actually spoken to one another, before deciding to, well, move on, move forward. Well, a Tinder-inspired app is helping um, farmers match up potential partners for their cattle. It's called Tutter. It's a mix of uh, dating app Tinder and Utter. It lets farmers swipe right on cattle they like uh, the look of. Uh, They're then directed to a page on the Sell My Livestock website where they can browse more pictures and data about the animals before deciding whether to buy. Valuable information is available on matters like milk yield and protein content, calving potential, explained uh, the CEO of the company Sell My uh, Stock. Matching livestock online is even easier than it is to match humans because there's a huge amount of data that sits behind these wonderful animals that predicts what their offspring will be, he said. Well, launching just in time for Valentine's Day, the makers believe Tutter is the first ever matchmaking app for livestock. And as with human equivalent, farmers use smartphones to first choose whether they're looking for male or female, swiping through photos, right, uh, for yes, left for no, until they find the perfect match. Well, putting data at their fingertips connects these farmers from all over the country, making trading easier as well. Cattle farmer and Tutter user James Bridger says it's easy to uh, transport uh, stress for animals and may rival traditional markets. So it makes it a lot easier. Uh, you've got all this data of its background and everything, which um, your if you market um, will be helpful for you. There's nothing better than seeing an animal in its home, its natural habitat, rather than putting it on a lorry. If someone uh, rings up and wants to come and have a look or even uh, get it from the picture, it's ideal, really. And apparently the bovine enjoy it as well. Well, despite the rest of the world's uh, viewing of uh, view, rather of farmers, it's especially uh, uh, technologically driven and helpful. Uh, they cite precision uh, spaying, automatic dairy units, and genetic science that are all contributing to how farmers can farm well with their animals. Well, speaking of AI and technology, a Chinese student sparked debate earlier this week after his mother discovered the teenage girl bought a robot and trained it to imitate her handwriting so that she could finish her, uh, her homework. Well, the teen spent 800 yuan, about $120 on the robot that mimicked her handwriting Uh, The local news reported she then used the robot to copy Chinese phrases dozens of times for an assignment that required students to repeatedly write Chinese characters to help them learn how to read and write. She finished her Chinese writing assignment in two days. Her mother, sensing something was a little bit off, it should have been more difficult than that, discovered the robot in her daughter's room and reportedly smashed the machine. Yeah, the $120 machine or 800 yuan. Well, the mother then took the uh, popular social media platform uh, Weibo to complain about the daughter's tactics. She was quoted writing in the in her post, "It can help you. Um, it can help you with homework, but can it help you on tests? And more importantly, can it help you to be proficient in reading and writing Mandarin?" Well, several users, however, applauded the teen's creative idea to quickly finish her assignment that was given during the Lunar New Year break. Uh, Give her a break, says one. How meaningful is copying anything? Another person said the difference between humans and other animals is that they know how to uh, make and use tools. This young lady already knows how to do that. Of course, the assignment wasn't how do you make and use tools. The assignment was write this many times so that your hand becomes comfortable writing the characters in the Chinese alphabet. Oops. 
Well, a vegan bride has infuriated social media users. Now, why they should be concerned is another matter. After revealing that she banned her meat-eating relatives from her big day, which saved them money, I'm guessing, on transportation and the gift and all of that. Well, the Australian woman took to a vegan um, uh, group on Facebook looking for support, but got a rude awakening when her fellow meat-free members slammed her for the controversial decision. While many supported her decision to have a vegan menu at her wedding, people were uh, were angry about how she was treating her family, who she labeled murderers over their choice of diet. When your family tries to guilt trip you into letting them come to your fully vegan wedding, even though they're uh, omnivores, the disgruntled um, vegan uh, wrote alongside two laughing emojis. Well, the vegan bride has been slammed for revealing she banned her family from her wedding because they were meat eaters, even labeling them murderers. Just for some context, some family members were told that they are not invited to the wedding because we don't want to host murderers, she continued. <laughs> she actually called them murderers uh, in announcing they would not be invited. Our wedding is supposed to be one of the happiest days of our lives. However, despite her message being shared among fellow vegans, she received a negative response. As a vegan, said one, this is messed up. You can't go around calling your family murderers, one person wrote. She's out of her mind, said another. I'd be happy to cut her off in, uh, of, uh, out of my life if I were in the family. I totally understand serving vegan food exclusively, and that makes sense. But banning people and calling them murderers is just ridiculous. Not at all the response she had expected. Uh, she was called unreasonable. She uh, was chided by many of her fellow vegans. Well, the bride was uh, horrified. Horrified. The bride was horrified by the backlash from her fellow vegans, later explaining more about why she made the controversial decision to ban her meat-loving family members. After receiving a brutal reaction to her post, the bride added more details uh, to the post, explaining she banned her family over their continual um, clashing over her vegan lifestyle. They have consistently attacked me and my partner just for being vegan, she said adding that since they've been uh, planning their wedding, the family members were now being uh, all buddy-buddy again, and she was not having any of it. I'm reminded of the words of Rodney King. Can't we just get along? Maybe for just one ceremony where either you don't eat or you uh, bring something that you might enjoy. But now there's another thing to divide us. Do we need other things? Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 49 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Taco Bell is making an unprecedented move to win over vegetarians, which is different from a vegan, but close. Taco Bell is testing a new 100% vegetarian menu that highlights its meat-free options in stores later this year. The chain says it has 38 American Vegetarian Association certified ingredients that can be combined to create 8 million certified vegetarian options. Well, the chain has long been a vegetarian and vegan touchstone in the fast food landscape, dominated by meat thanks to its extensive customization options. Well, Taco Bell is doubling down on its effort to win over vegetarians. Uh, the fast food chain announced plans to begin testing its first vegetarian menu in stores this year. Unlike in the past, when customers could research vegetarian items online, this menu will be highlighted on boards touting certified vegetarian dishes. Well, Taco Bell also plans to roll out new featured vegetarian menu items uh, this year. The chain says it has 38 American Vegetarian Association certified ingredients that can be combined for the 8 million uh, options. The chain has long been uh, a touchstone, and in 2015, the chain, the chain rather, launched a menu 
uh, certified by the American Vegetarian Association, providing instruction on how to order vegetarian and vegan uh, meals at the chain on its website. Taco Bell's menu has always been especially malleable for particular diets, says uh, one um, Taco Bell fan. While the chain is known for things like beefy tacos, chicken chalupas, and steak-filled quesadillas, there's a really simple trick to transform almost any meat dish on the menu into a vegetarian one. You can swap any meat for beans free of charge. An increasing number of Americans are either committing to or dabbling in vegetarianism. 39% of Americans are trying to incorporate more plant-based foods in their diets, according to the Nielsen data. And as of 2017, 6% of Americans said they are vegan, uh, far more than the 1% who self-identified in 2014, according to Global Data. So Taco Bell getting in on the act. I don't know if they're catering the wedding where the young woman's family was not invited. Meanwhile, McDonald's uh, fries may in fact cure baldness. Huh. If you were looking for a sign to go through the McDonald's drive through on your way home from work, this might be it. New research found that a, uh, an ingredient in McDonald's French fries might help reverse baldness. Researchers uh, in Japan found that one of the chemicals used in the oil McDonald's cooks with, cooks their fries in in particular, um, can mass produce hair follicle germs. Uh, The chemical used by McDonald's to prevent its fry oil from frothing helped create new hair growth in mice. Well, the key for the mass production of HFGs, as they're called, was a choice of uh, substrata materials for the culture vessel. That's science talk from a corresponding author and professor from the university in an interview. This could be big news considering how many adults suffer from hair loss. The study published in uh, Dermatologic Surgery reported that male pattern baldness is much more common than we realize. Overall, 42% of men experience moderate to extensive hair loss uh, with that number only increasing with age. So if you're feeling a little thinner up on top, don't feel bad. You're in good company and there may be a cure coming. Now, speaking of McDonald's and These fast food restaurants are always rolling out some new innovation. McDonald's has now rolled out its donut sticks, joining the breakfast menu following weeks of rumors. Apparently people cared enough about it to be talking. McDonald's had remained pretty tight-lipped about the secretive plans to debut their donut sticks since rumors began circulating early last month. But now it's uh, safe to say those tips were, in fact, um, Accurate, and this uh, cinnamon, or I should say donut-grade cinnamon-sugared donuts are on the market. On Monday, the fast food chain confirmed news of the item described as the perfect complement to existing breakfast lineups. Uh, We are proud of our breakfast offerings and excited to share new donut sticks with our customers. Now, nutritional value, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, We looked at several donut shapes, tested a variety of donuts, and even worked to get the amount of cinnamon right. Some are suggesting these are just uh, cinnamon crisps from Taco Bell. Anyway, McDonald's worked on it for the recipe. We're thrilled to be making breakfast at McDonald's even more delicious by introducing donut sticks. And that's really what we need is another sugary option in the morning to uh, send our blood sugar soaring before we begin our day's activities. Well, a hungry... um, Slovenian politician has stepped down from parliament after admitting he absconded with a sandwich because he'd been ignored by the staff at the checkout counter for several minutes, being rather impatient and perhaps imperious. 
Well, the 54-year-old member of the ruling list of uh, parliament and one particular party uh, told Slovenian media that he went to a shop um, at the country's capital to purchase some food, but became annoyed by apparently being ignored by the staff. So he felt like he was uh, being treated like air, and so he absconded with the item as if it were air. He said he was in a hurry at the time and decided to test the store's security by walking out and shoplifting the sandwich. A really bad idea. However, he ended up uh, regretting that social experiment. So I left the shop with the sandwich, walking slowly, very slowly. He said that no employee appeared to notice. He later told fellow parliamentary uh, members about the sandwich incident, and some members found it amusing, others not so much. On Thursday, the head of the party, the parliamentary faction that he belongs to, said that his actions were unacceptable and condemned them. He took responsibility for it, resigned of his own accord for taking the sandwich. Uh, He was elected in September, admitted he made a mistake and uh, would make different decisions if he had a second chance. But unfortunately, he does not. He did take full responsibility, stepped down, and having just been elected in September, his political career has come to an end, as did the sandwich. Well, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, as well as uh, all of the 2020 hopefuls, are beginning to have town hall meetings and talk to people all around the country. While she's a 2020 Democratic presidential hopeful, she was interrupted while campaigning in Iowa on Monday by someone who just wanted condiments for her food. Well, speaking at the uh, airliner in Iowa City, the senior, rather the senator, talked with uh, voters when one patron, University of Iowa student Hannah McKinney, appeared to try to, um, well, scooch past her. Gillibrand in the video tweeted by a CNN reporter appears to warmly touch Kenny's shoulder as if to include her in the conversation. Of course, not understanding what the point was, but Kenny didn't want to join in simply saying, sorry, sorry, I'm just going to get some ranch as she raised her hands and pushed through the mob of reporters and photographers. Well, the crowd broke into laughter in the video as Gillibrand continued her campaigning. It's the sort of thing you put up with when you're talking to regular people out in the country. Kenny, the person looking for the uh, condiment, said that she had no idea that Gillibrand was campaigning at the airliner uh, when she uh, dines each Monday night for her Bible study. She was just there. She added that living in Iowa her entire life, she understands that caucuses are approaching, but she definitely wasn't there for that reason. Well, the college senior said that Gillibrand and the crowd were sitting in the kind of uh, major intersection near the hostess podium in the restaurant. She noted that in the video, Gillibrand gently touched her shoulder but said, She doesn't recall that moment. Anyway, she was able to get to where she needed to go to get her condiment. I believe it was ranch dressing and to make her way back. And uh, Senator Gillibrand, who is a seasoned politician, was not shaken by this interruption in what I'm certain was an eloquent presentation as to why she should be the nominee for her party. According to uh, data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. is still sitting on a massive surplus of cheese. Even though Americans consume nearly 37 pounds of cheese per capita in 2017, each American, it still wasn't enough to reduce the country's more than 1.4 billion dollar rather billion pounds of cheese surplus that currently sitting in cold storage. And while millennials have been blamed for the death of American cheese, the processed kind made by brands such as Kraft, Velveeta, and Land O'Lakes, 
They're only part of the problem. According to NPR, the stockpile isn't new. It's just continuing to build due to the rapid pace of milk production exceeding consumption over the past 10 years. Since 2008, milk production has increased by more than 13 percent, but overall consumption has rapidly decreased since the late 70s, focusing uh, suppliers to turn extra milk into cheese instead, as it is less perishable although perishable. Another issue for U.S. cheesemakers, according to uh, the editor of the Dairy and Food Market uh, Analyst, is that customers and even major fast food chains are turning their backs on American-made cheeses and opting for more natural European cheese. Wendy's, for example, was one of the pioneers in transitioning to real cheese from artificial. Even Cracker Barrel and uh, Panera, they've um, made moves to ditch processed cheese and replace them with real cheese options. Uh, tariffs have dropped year to date uh, ex- exports to Mexico around 10 percent from uh, 2017. But while the artificial cheeses are out, the overall cheese making business is still booming in the U.S., real or the fake stuff. So the number of U.S. cheese factories has increased 40 percent between 2000 and 2017. But the growth is being divi- driven rather by small specialty cheesemakers. News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. We're winding our way through some of the lighter side of the news this afternoon. We'll also let you know later in the program, later this hour, some of the guests we'll be talking with next week. Well, it's that season again, and the Girl Scout cookies are out. But did you know that they have different names in different regions? I had no idea. Uh, a Girl Scout cookie by any other name is surely just as sweet, one would assume. Unless you live under a rock, you know that what Girl Scout cookies uh, season is. Every year, the cutest little girls, the troops, set up their shop at grocery stores and knock on doors to sell the most addicted, um, addicting baked goods that ever graced the planet. And although Thin Mints are the organization's bestseller, the most delicious of them all, perhaps is the Samoa. Doesn't ring a bell? Well, that's because it's also uh, sold under a different name depending on where you uh, live. The other alias, Caramel Delight. Hmm. Be still my beating heart. Indeed, Girl Scout cookies have different names depending on your region. And it's not just... um, Regional slang either. In fact, I'm not sure how they come up with the idea, but the Girl Scouts of America, they employ uh, two different companies to make their famous cookies, ABC Bakers and Little Brownie Bakers. And depending on where you purchase the the precious cargo, things um, can look and taste different as well. If I was going to get a Samoa, I would want it to taste exactly like the one I've had here, but that may not be the case. Well, this doesn't differ by state, but by region. Dallas and Fort Worth uh, don't even enjoy the exact same cookies, uh, and they share an airport. Uh, So let's get down to it. The Samoa uh, that half the country knows and loves has a a pretty heavy layer of caramel, dark chocolate coating, and a liberal amount of toasted coconuts. I love that cookie. It may be my favorite right after Thin Mints. Well, the Caramel Delight, as it's known elsewhere, has milk chocolate, a vanilla-flavored cookie, and less caramel. And if you're familiar with the trefoils, if that's the right pronunciation, they're called shortbreads elsewhere. Um, uh, The peanut butter sandwich has a different name, Tagalongs. Uh, Try peanut butter patties elsewhere. Even Thin Mints have been uh, compromised. 
They have the same name everywhere, but like the others, the recipe varies by location. ABC Baker's region is crunchier with more than uh, more mint uh, than chocolate and uh, little brownie bakers uh, bakes rather a, a richer, um, smoother chocolate coating and stronger peppermint taste. Well, the L.A. Times compares each company's cookies in a side by side taste uh, test, um, which also shows which um, regions uh, sell which versions. You can look that up online if you're interested. But Girl Scout cookies aren't the only ones uh, to timing us. Uh, there are other foods that have names that you're familiar with here, but have different names elsewhere. So Girl Scout cookies, if you're traveling, you want to look at what's uh, what's in the box to make sure you're getting what you think you know. Well, a bingo brawl broke out at a Canadian nursing home after two female residents reportedly bickered over an empty seat and refused to back down. Now, one would think once you're in a nursing home, you probably got the patient things down, the forbearance thing down, but apparently not. That's in nature can pop up at any age. Canadian authorities said the two women, ages 79 and 86, are residents at a long-term care facility uh, in Ontario, a roughly a 45-minute drive from the U.S. border. The women wanted to uh, sit in the same seat during bingo, but neither would compromise. A physical altercation then broke out, prompting other residents to get involved. The situation escalated into a somewhat well, a brawl, according to reports. Well, the residents uh, reported, reportedly calmed down once authorities arrived. Yes, authorities were called. 79, 86-year-old uh, women. Authorities were called. Things calmed down. Officials said no one was seriously injured or charged. So apparently someone was injured, just not seriously it wasn't immediately clear whether bingo night proceeded as scheduled or what happened after that. But nonetheless, I guess it doesn't matter how old you are. If you don't have the fruit of the spirit, you're going to find yourself in a brawl. In an effort to get the younger generation off the couch and exercising, the French Fencing Federation recently recognized lightsaber dueling as a competitive sport. Just like medieval tales like the Three Musketeers once inspired youths to take up classic fencing sports, so too can Star Wars save young people from the clutches of the evil currently plaguing public health, sedentary lifestyle. Or at least uh, that's how officials from the French Fencing Federation explain their decision to acknowledge lightsaber dueling as an official sport. They've even included some specific rules designed to make battles between Jedi Knights and Sith Lords more visually appealing and get young people interested in taking up the sport. And I imagine there are rules and uh, ways of holding your weapon and the weight and all of that. With young people today, it's a real public health issue. They don't do any sports and only exercise with their thumbs, says the Fencing Federation Secretary General. It's becoming difficult to persuade them to do a sport that has no connection with getting out of uh, getting off of the sofa and playing with one's thumbs. That's why we're trying to create a bond between our discipline and modern technologies, so participating in a sport feels natural. But what makes the Star Wars franchise so special is the fact that it appeals to many adults as well, many of whom uh, grew up watching George Lucas. In fact, I would imagine some of the older folks uh, who grew up watching George Lucas would be more interested than some of the younger. But uh, original episodes uh, linger in their memory and still consider the opportunity to fight against Siths and Jedis in real life, but um, uh, using polycarbonate LED-lit lightsabers, a dream come true. Well, according to the now official regulations of French lightsaber dueling, battles are carried out in a circle marked with uh, tape on the floor, 
and last for about three minutes. The goal is uh, of the dual lists is to reach 15 points before their opponent and win the bout. If both players reach 10 points within the first three uh, minutes time limit, the duel enters an exciting sudden death stage, which the first combatant um, who lands a body or head blow wins. Uh, strikes on the head, the body count for five points, hits on the arms and legs, three points, and of course the lightsaber is a lightweight plastic. I suppose you could wield it more dangerously, but that's not the point. And touches on the hands are one point. If neither of the fighters reach 15 points after three minutes are up, the fighters with the higher score wins. Well, the scoring system is similar to that of traditional fencing, but the Federation did implement some special rules to make the duels more exciting. One example, uh, blows only count if the fighter first point the tip of their lightsaber behind them, uh, which is designed to both prevent the quick front lunges uh, of uh, the typical fencing and also gives the uh, the duels a realistic Star Wars feel by encouraging swishers uh, to land their blow. So if you want to play with lightsabers, the place to go is France, where it is an official recognized sport. Hmm. Well, speaking of people who are trying to come up with things to do, Ted Hastings said that he was flipping through a Guinness World Record, Book of World Records, with his 11-year-old son when they came across the record for most T-shirts worn at one time. Well, it seemed irresistible to Mr. Hastings. Not wanting to disappoint his son, we set out to figure out first what record we could possibly attempt. And then the steps involved and they stumbled into the T-shirt challenge. He said he ordered T-shirts up to 20XL from India and made plans to hold the record attempt um, at a gym nearby. Hastings said the uh, uh, the event raised money for Bridgeport Public Schools, where his son and 14-year-old daughter attend. He said after putting on 260 shirts, three more than the previous record, that the experience was generally awful. I think around 100 shirts marks... Um, the time when he felt it was impossible. And around the 150 shirt mark, I thought uh, it was one of the dumber things that I've signed up for in a long time. He said the weight of the shirts became constricting uh, as their mass grew. Uh, You have to assume that each shirt is roughly a pound um, when you're uh, talking about shirts that are 10 XL or 20 XL. A Guinness World Records adjudicator was on hand to certify the record. The record keeping organization congratulated Hastings on Twitter and he is now the current record holder with 260 shirts. Now, hopefully he was able to raise money to make it meaningful in some way, but it's hard to imagine how. 16 minutes after 5 o'clock, we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blend is producing. We're widening our way through some of the lighter side of the news. We were talking about the Guinness Book of World Records. Well, a Peru department store chain broke a Guinness World Record by creating a pair of jeans roughly the size of a 22-story building. Now, what do you do with a pair of jeans that are roughly the size of a 22-story building? I guess you break the record and then you dissemble them? I don't really know. Well, the Paris department store chain um, teamed up with fashion brands Kansas to create the massive pants, which were unveiled at the mall um, earlier this week. Well, the creator said it took a team of 50 people six months to put together, which uh, Guinness World Records adjudicator confirmed measured 215 feet tall, 140 feet wide. The materials that went into the trousers collectively weighed about six tons. 
Well, Guinness certified the denim pants as the largest jeans in the world. Paris said the jeans will remain on display at the mall through Sunday when the process will begin to convert the giant jeans into 10,000 reusable bags to be sold at Paris stores to promote a reduction in the use of plastic shopping bags. Just made a big pair of pants for nobody, just to have a name in a book that probably won't be read by many anyway. Well, at a barbershop tucked away in a small Hanoi alley, Le Puc Ha uh, patiently waits for his hair dye to bleach his natural black into the color of the President of the United States. On a chair next to him is nine-year-old To Gai Hu. He emerges as a um, spitting image of the miniature Kim Jong-un. Yes, we're talking about Hanoi, Vietnam, where they are anticipating the meeting between the North Korean leader and the President of the United States. Many people say that I look like Kim Jong-un, especially when I have this hairstyle, says Hu. Uh, who was nicknamed Un for his likeness to the North Korean leader. Now, this is a little nine-year-old boy, uh, mind you. He was unable to hide his excitement that Kim is coming to the Vietnamese capital next week for his second summit with President Trump and hopes for a chance to see him in person. As the summit frenzy shakes Hanoi, hairdresser Lee Ton Dong uh, has joined in offering free Trump or Kim hairstyles to about a dozen customers. A Trump or Kim hairstyle. Hanoi is a city of peace. When Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un decide to come here to talk about restoring peace, I think I should do something to show that Hanoi people welcome the summit, Dong says. He said Kim's hairstyle shows youth uh, while Trump's displays power, but Kim's style is a lot more popular among customers. Um, Hi, a motorcycle taxi driver went for a Trump's orange hair because he confessed, I really like Donald Trump, so I want to have his hairstyle. And so you see the um, aging, I'm guessing he's probably in his mid-50s to mid-60s, with his blonde hair styled in the fashion of Donald Trump, standing next to the nine-year-old boy, who actually does look like Kim, wearing similar glasses, similar uh, round face, and his hair styled after Kim Jong-un. I don't know where Guinness is in all of that. Well, every institution has its fans. It also has its foes, even your local Department of Motor Vehicles. Now, stay with me now. It's hard to imagine anybody really loving the DMV. I mean, once you get what you need, you're grateful they're there, but that's something different. In all seriousness, though, a man was arrested for allegedly stalking the DMV. More specifically, employees at the DMV in Lincoln County, Missouri. Despite claims... Uh, of a series of uh, creeptacular and frightening actions by Timothy Howe, he just persisted. When detectives began investigating in uh, early February, according to the news release, problems started last year because of pizza. Employees at the DMV in the city of Troy claimed the suspect anonymously bought pizzas for them, drove through the parking lot at the at all times of the day, reaching out to them on social media using an assumed name. One of them, a woman, asked him to stop buying her the pizzas. So in the words of the deputies, he bought them for everyone in the office except for her. Well, most people got out of, uh, uh, go out of their way to avoid the DMV unless absolutely necessary, but not Mr. Howe, according to deputies. Employees said he was a regular, asking for abandoned vehicle forms and other documents. Issues came to a head when, in November of last year, he allegedly left a lot of money for a DMV employee and told her to get a manicure and a pedicure. 
Well, the State Complaint Investigation Bureau told him he was persona non grata from then on at the Troy License Office. Well, problems allegedly continued. Howe is uh, also accused of getting his hands on a woman's cell phone number. Uh, Deputies described the texts as odd, and one of those uh, was a Merry Christmas message. A woman also said that he drove past her twice while she was filling up her car at a gas station. Well, Howe is now charged with first-degree stalking and three counts of first-degree harassment. Deputies said he's uh, locked up in the Lincoln County Jail. It's about a $20,000 bond. It's unclear if he has an attorney in the matter, but I guess the moral of the story is not healthy to like the DMV too much. Go handle your business. Go on your way until the next time you're required to return. And vandals in North Carolina may have, uh, well, they may need a history lesson after having set fire to a statue honoring a World War II hero they apparently mistook for a Confederate general. Now, I don't know if you can recall what a Confederate general's garb looks like as opposed to a World War II hero, but they really are quite different. Now, they assume the World War II hero was Confederate General Robert E. Lee. It was not. Um, a white marble monument of U.S. Army Major General William C. Lee, who commanded the 101st Airborne Division, there should have been a little clue there, Airborne Division, Screaming Eagles during, the World War, or during World War II, uh, was doused with flammable liquid and set on fire last week. According to museum officials, the statue bears black scorches uh, running up the left side. Well, the suspect seemed to have uh, confused Lee, Robert E. Lee, with this particular General William C. Lee. Uh, Of course, Robert E. Lee led the Confederate Army during the Civil War some 80 years earlier. What are they teaching in school? It was um, I was surprised that anybody would go to that museum statute, said the curator of the General William C. Lee Airborne Museum in Dunn. Um, This is not a Civil War museum, and this is not Robert E. Lee. Well, aside from their last name, the two Lees have nothing in common, according to Johnson. The former Lee was known as the father of the U.S. Airborne Army and an international war hero of World War II. The statute is expected to be uh, cleansed and repaired, uh, which could cost several hundred dollars. Authorities are still uh, asking anyone with information to let them know, but... Um, perhaps a return to a history book might be useful since there was no uh, airborne division during the Civil War that at least I'm aware of. I could be mistaken. And a courthouse in Oklahoma was forced to shutter its doors when a group of unwanted visitors snuck inside on a lawyer's jacket. Well, the Rogers County Courthouse said in a Facebook post it had to be closed, uh, the Clarence, the Claremore facility at noon because of a um, confirmed case of bed bugs. Apparently, the uh, county sheriff, Scott Walton, uh, says that the unidentified lawyer came up to the third floor courtroom with bugs falling out of his clothing. I was told the individual uh, that he had them, uh, who had them rather, was um, shocked. He shook his jacket over the prosecutor's file and the bugs, of course, revealed themselves. Officials then held a meeting and decided to close the building in order to exterminate the uh, visitors to get rid of the bugs, according to the commissioners. We didn't feel comfortable with uh, workers having to stay here for the rest of the day and not know what the situation was. Well, officials also asked anyone who believed they may have been exposed to the bed bugs to take 
appropriate actions by following guidelines that were listed by the Centers for Disease Control. It's hard to imagine someone not knowing uh, that some bed bugs are crawling all over them, um, certainly in abundance. And apparently they were visible from some distance and were literally um, jumping off the jacket onto other things. Had to close the whole courthouse to take care of the problem. Of course, bed bugs can be a real problem in lots of places across the country. Ugh. 30 minutes after 5 o'clock. Be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 34 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, you know, porch pirates, that's become something of a coined phrase as people, particularly during the holiday season, will walk right up onto your porch and take stuff you have ordered that's been delivered to your home. Well, one Kentucky woman was very concerned about who was taking stuff from her porch. In fact, it wasn't just uh, things that she had ordered online. It was all kinds of stuff. Well, a Kentucky woman whose package was taken from her porch reviewed security camera footage and identified the unexpected culprit. Packages, pillows, other things. Ashley Craigheimer said she ordered a package from Amazon and began to grow suspicious when it never arrived. She reviewed security camera footage and discovered the thieves were her own three-month-old Labrador puppies. Hmm. She said the dogs took the package to the side of the house where she was able to recover it. I'm not sure how she prevented them from doing that in the future. If you ever wondered why a paper cut, that little tiny fine cut in the tip of a finger or somewhere on the hand is so painful, well, there's an explanation. The tightly packed nerve endings, pesky fibers, and the element of surprise make for a perfect storm of pain. We all know the agonizing feeling. We're reading a book, um, opening an envelope, when all of a sudden there's a sharp pain on our finger. You see a little bit of blood and realize that um, you've just gotten a paper cut. It's like being cut with a saber. Um, Paper seems so light, so flimsy, so harmless, yet they cause cuts that are extremely painful and can be painful for days. Well, one doctor, Haley Goldbach, a residential dermatologist from UCLA UCLA Health, spoke to... um, other physicians about why paper cuts are so jagged, why they're so painful, how the element of surprise leaves us in more pain and how it make how to make sure rather um, that we heal quickly, because apparently there are things you can do to shorten the lifespan of that pain. Well, Dr. Goldbach explained that one reason paper cuts hurt so much is where they occur primarily on the finger, the fingers you use regularly. We have nerve endings all over the body in places where there is refined movement and sensation like the lips or tips of the finger, they have a high density of nerve endings as well. Well, those nerve endings are known as um, nociceptors, and they send signals to the brain about things that could cause a break in the skin, such as extreme hot or cold temperatures or chemicals. Well, the doctor says that you can test this by unfolding a, a paper clip so both ends are facing the same direction like prongs. If you poke your finger, you can discern the two individual ends. Uh, However, if you poke yourself in the back of the same unfolded paper clip, uh, it would be harder to tell if the two ends are that they are apart. Well, that's because the back has a lower density uh, of nerve endings than the front. Another reason why paper cuts hurt so much is that you're uh, using your hands throughout the day. It's pretty much unavoidable, uh, meaning that the wound is constantly getting opened. You often get paper cuts on the... um, 
pad or the tips of the fingers, different from uh, when you're using a knife or, or have a cut from a knife. It's hard not to use your hands, so you're constantly ap- applying pressure to the wound without a chance for it to heal. The paper itself is another reason why those superficial cuts leave us in so much pain. Paper might look and seem smooth and harmless, but if you study it under a microscope, the edge is actually rather jagged, like a serrated knife. Paper is quite sharp, jagged. It's a bit... Um, serrated, as I said. It cuts you uh, pretty uh, quickly before you have a chance to realize it. This, in turn, leaves behind a cut that is jagged rather than smooth. You can't detect it, but that's the case. And additionally, paper is made from wood pulps, cotton, and other fibers, which can be left behind in the wound. You don't see anything, but it can still be there. This is uh, different from being cut with a knife or a razor, both of which leave little material behind Um, that can sting in the cut. Paper, on the other hand, can contain fibers. They're inflammatory, which is why it's important to run the cut underwater and to wash it with uh, a little bit of soap to get all of that out. It will heal more quickly. Also, paper cuts are quite shallow, which makes them even more annoying uh, to deal with. When the body has a deep cut, blood clots prevent the blood, uh, the bleeding rather, and then uh, a scab forms to protect it. But paper creates cuts Um, deep enough to reach the micro, as I mentioned before, knocker receptors or something like that, but not deep enough to trigger the clotting mechanism. So when you get a paper cup, the best thing to do is to run it underwater, use a little soap. It will heal more quickly. Put a little bandage on it if you need to, because you will continue to injure yourself if you're using that particular digit. So be careful. And now you know why paper hurts so much. Well, there's something they're calling selfie wrist. It's an emerging hazard of the digital age, according to doctors in their warnings. Your next selfie could be your most painful one. That's according to a doctor from California, and he's issuing a warning. Dr. Levi Harrison, a San Francisco-based physician, is warning people about selfie wrist caused by people using their phones uh, and their phone's camera, of course, to take a photo of themselves. Selfie wrist is a form of carpal tunnel syndrome. People who experience selfie wrist may feel a tingling or sharp pain, which comes from flexing the wrist toward or holding your phone too uh, too long without moving. There have uh, been several incidents in recent years in which doctors have diagnosed selfie risk, wrist rather as a real diagnosis, according to the Irish Medical Journal. The incidents included the uh, selfie taker jumping on a trampoline, walking on rocks or just not paying attention and ending up breaking their wrist from uh, falling or colliding with other objects. That seems rather foolish, but selfie risk itself can be the result of simply holding the phone while you're stationary. According to um, uh, one source, at least 62% of Americans have taken at least one selfie of themselves. Now, one selfie is not going to do it, but the statistic includes 82% of people 18 to 34 who tend to take multiple selfies over long periods of time. A 2018 study discovered that between October of 2011 and November of 2017, there's been 259 deaths associated with taking a selfie, with the most uh, concentrated deaths coming from the U.S., India, Russia, and Pakistan. One young man, in fact, was taking a selfie and found that he um, took the selfie and fell off of a bridge. Now, he survived uh, his incident, but his friends thought he was kidding as he was falling, but in fact, he was not. He survived. He was the exception, said he will never take another selfie, certainly not a risky one. Well, a dad has made an app that locks his teenager's phone until um, 
the, the teenager answers the text sent by a parent. Well, the app Reply ASAP makes text messages uh, unmissable between people that matter, since important messages shouldn't be missed, says its creator. Nick Herbert created the app, which can freeze your child's phone and even sound an alarm in silent mode. It essentially forces teenagers to uh, to stop what they're doing and reply to their worried parents. Until the receiver responds, they won't be able to use other functions on their Android phone. Now, this is brilliant. The app launched uh, on Google Play in August uh, has uh, since been downloaded 75,000 times. Most reviews are positive, although some noted that the installation was a little confusing due to the permissions an app uh, the app needs. The basic app is free, although for a few dollars you can unlock more functionality. But wouldn't you like that as a parent, to be able to lock your teen's phone until they respond to a text or email from you? And then there's this breaking news, Morning Business uh, uh, Outlook reported that former Toys R Us employees who lost their jobs when the retailer liquidated last June uh, began receiving checks from a $20 million hardship fund established by the buyout firm General Motors plans to partner with DoorDash to provide food uh, deliveries with their self uh, driving vehicles in San Francisco. And Sears isn't the only iconic brand getting a second shot at life. Toys R Us is as well. After liquidating less than one year ago, a group of former Toys R Us executives announced that it is officially bringing the brand back under a new name and new vision by this holiday season. Effective January of 2019, the new company, True Kids Inc., doing business as True Kids Brand, uh, became the proud parent of Toys R Us, Babies R Us, Jeffrey, and more than 20 established consumer toy and baby brands. True Kids Brands said in a press release, well, the new company will be led by the former Toys R Us Global Chief Merchandising Officer, as well as other experienced toy executives. We have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to write the next chapter of Toys R Us by launching a new imagined omni-channel retail experience for our beloved brands here in the U.S., Barry said in a statement. Barry added that despite unprecedented efforts to capture the U.S. market share this past holiday season by other retailers, there's still a significant gap in huge consumer demand that's been left behind by the demise of Toys R Us. He said that both brands still remain powerful in the marketplace and continue to have brand affinity and loyalty with more than 9.5 million followers across their social media channels. Barry told the Associated Press that while he and his team are still working out all the details on when and how the brand will reemerge, they do plan to officially relaunch in some form by this holiday season. He also said the e-commerce will play a key role in the brand's future. In September of 2017, Toys R Us filed Chapter 11, Reorganization, uh, later liquidated its business last year after falling prey to several billions in debt and tough competition from online retailers such as Amazon and Walmart. But Toys R Us is coming back under a new name, of course, but same old toys. Hopefully they'll be presented a bit uh, better than they were. I always uh, found myself lost in Toys R Us. I can never find exactly what I was looking for. We'll see what happens next. 45 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Fun Friday edition of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, lots of people here in the city of Portland have noticed a snowflake icon on the weather app. Uh, and that's beginning next week. They're telling us once again, snow is in the forecast. So is Portland really going to get snow? Now, the National Weather Service said today um, the Portland metro area is in the region where people will likely see snowflakes. That's uh, Sunday night, 
or Monday morning. However, the Weather Service also said there's no guarantee of significant accumulation. So if you like seeing the snow fall, you'll probably get that. If you want to see an accumulation, that's less likely. Uh, Chris McGinnis, who's a meteorologist with KGW, said the storm that could potentially bring snow will approach the Willamette Valley late Sunday. We'll have copious amounts of moisture, which could mean a lot of things. With its tracking to our south, that could open up the door to the uh, cold gorge influence that brings the low elevation snow threat back to the northern Willamette Valley on Sunday afternoon into Monday Uh, So stay tuned on that. So, again, we know very little, except that we'll probably have a little bit of snow in the forecast. On Thursday, it was also said that the snow is possible, but they didn't hold out much hope for accumulation. Now, I appreciate that there's much more caution this time around. You might recall a couple of weeks ago, um, lots of people were predicting that um, we were going to be buried under feet of snow. Uh, And it didn't really turn out quite that way. There was a light blanketing of snow here in the Portland area. Some other areas got a little bit more, but a little disappointed for those who wanted to see some snow accumulation. It just didn't happen. Rain may start, um, but uh, end up as snow in the valleys on Monday morning before turning into uh, rain in the afternoon. So we'll see a little bit of uh, something. Right now, the seven-day forecast, looking at today, the high 41. On Saturday, the high 44. Uh, with a low of 35. On Sunday, the high of 42, low 35. And on on Monday, the high of 40 and low of 32. On Tuesday, we're looking at 31 as the low, 40 the high. And then the week warms up a little bit as uh, as it moves along. Now you might recall that this uh, this next weekend, not uh, not this weekend, but next weekend is the Ignite conference. It uh, it's going to be up and running, so we're praying that the snow will uh, give us a a day of nothing if in fact we see anything at all. Uh, but if you're planning on coming, make sure that uh, you've made all the arrangements and you have until Sunday at midnight to enjoy the discounted early registration prices. So do check that out and I would love to see you join us here for um the wonderful Western Seminary uh, Women's Ministry event, Ignite the Wonder. Uh, That's coming up next weekend. Well, if things are getting a little boring at your church, I wanted to bring an example of uh, a pastor who thought, you know what, I'm going to spice things up just a little bit. I mean, after all, church needs to be spiced up. The word apparently isn't enough. Um, Smoke and lights and everything in worship, that apparently isn't enough. But the pastor, in retrospect, looks back and says, well, I'm over it. After his video went viral, he tumbled on a trampoline in his last sermon of uh, 2018. This is a pastor in Boston. And uh, his video went viral as he took a literal leap of faith, or at least a leap during his final sermon of the year, and landing flat on his head. Now, he was trying to make some sort of visual dramatic point. I don't know. I just thought the word could probably stand on its own, but... This pastor, 46-year-old senior pastor of Jubilee Church, he'd been preaching to thousands at the largest uh, church in New England for over 18 years. But what happened on that Sunday put him in front of millions of eyes when he failed to at a jump on a mini trampoline. Uh, it's funny, he said, after the fact, I remember thinking to myself, oh no, uh, and uh, he landed right on his head. He could tell, you know, halfway through the stunt, uh, maybe like 800 people there. Well, they just uh, gasped. They wanted to make sure he was okay as he was lying on the floor. I just rolled over and said, a righteous man falls and gets back up. So he got back up and continued to preach. (laughs) I I guess this is a cautionary tale against stunts during the uh, Sunday morning uh, service. 
He said, I brought up a, a trampoline to demonstrate that you need the power of God to help you get over it. Uh, Thompson wrote on his Instagram account, well, as you can see, the video has gone viral. Just to let you know, I got back up again and finished preaching. 2019 is the year you will get back up again and get over it. So a consummate pastor, he uses his failure to uh, complete the the task uh, as an object lesson for the rest of the congregation. He said the Lord gave him the title, I'm over it, and the illustration of jumping over a hurdle which isn't, of course, a trampoline. And throughout his sermon, the hurdle got to higher and higher until uh, he couldn't jump over it on his own. Well, the analogy was to show that at some point in our lives, we need help from God. Before he finished the sermon, he did successfully attempt the uh, jump again to prove his point. Uh, This wasn't the first stunt of its kind the pastor born and raised in the Boston area had done. He's preached on treadmills. He's jumped in and out of baptism. baptismals, and even had a giant trampoline the size of the stage before. So if you're looking for something to kind of spruce up your Sunday morning, here are some suggestions. I use all types of methods to communicate the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, adding that Jesus walked on water and did a lot of other things to communicate the gospel because there are multiple ways people learn. Well, he didn't, well, I won't go into it, but walking on water was an object lesson for the disciples, not jumping on it. Anyway, uh, well, his um, fall has received millions of views on social media and the pastor hopes it will help others. If somehow at the beginning of the year, my fall has brought someone laughter, then praise the Lord, he says. And I'm hoping that they could uh, stop laughing long enough to hear the message that no matter what they're going through or no matter how many times they've fallen, they can get back up again and trust God that he will get them over it. So a nice little adjustment to get back to the main point. The pastor said uh, every year the Lord gives him a theme for that year. Last year it was open heaven, but this year it's the year of miracles. He added, whatever um, held you back in 2018, you're over it. Uh, With God's help, you can overcome anything. Trampoline is optional. Taking a look at next week on the program on Monday, we're going to talk with uh, the executive director of the Parents Education Association, Dennis Turi. We're going to talk about uh, Oregon politics and the legislative session, which is underway in Salem. On Tuesday, we'll talk with Jason Bentham. He's the co-author of Bold and Broken, Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and Earth. Now, he and his twin brother, as you might recall, were candidates for a a program on HGTV. It was one of those... um, well, fix it programs or uh, real estate programs. This is a the these are twins, and much like the Property Brothers, they were going to be featured on the program until it was learned that they were also uh, serious about their faith, and there was a big protest. And well, you might recall that story. Anyway, J- uh, Jason Bentham is going to join us to talk about the book he and his brother co-authored. On Wednesday, we'll talk with uh, John D. Barry, author of Jesus Economy: A Biblical View of Poverty, the Currency of Love, and a Pattern for Lasting Change. On Thursday, we'll talk with David Ayers. He's the author of Christian Marriage, A Comprehensive Introduction. The book is published by uh, Lex Press. And then on Friday, we'll do just what we did today, and we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. So looking forward to making it through a tough week. Uh, As you know, the president will be meeting in Vietnam with the uh, leader of North Korea and uh, What will happen there, we don't yet know. They're also negotiating uh, an agreement with China that we hope at some point in the uh, next several days will result in some kind of an announcement. And there's also the possibility that um, the Mueller investigation uh, will release some sort of a report, we're being told, although we've been told that so many times over these uh, many months, 
Uh, but nonetheless, there is some speculation that that could happen while the president is out of the country, uh, which would certainly shift attention away from uh, that trip to Vietnam with the North Korean dictator. Uh, so a lot to talk about next week, and we certainly will cover all of that as well. Well, I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program and Clark Hilton for engineering. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. It's always a joy to hang out with you uh, throughout the, uh, the week. Have a great weekend. I hope you'll join us right back here on Monday. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.